2: Market is one of the world's largest uh, platforms for a location. And if you actually use third-party measurements, not just self-described measurements, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say we're the largest according to the ComScore. You know, the best days are days have been getting better, and they're going to continue to do so as more dollars are shifted from dead-tree media to actual accountable media that, that has an ROI. People spend the money, print it, goes to the mailbox, it goes in the trash, it sits in big stacks as people are walking the store their faces in their phones. So You know, it's hard enough with, a, imagine a two-sided network like eBay created. How do you yeah. get the buyers with the sellers? Well, that yeah. was tough, but once eBay gets to be a certain scale, everyone just goes to eBay. Yeah. That's the place where buyers and sellers come together. Um, we've created a three-sided network, which is more difficult than what eBay did, and definitely that means the early years of doing that can be very challenging, uh, putting that together. I think once, once you get to a tipping point, and, and we're, we're a bit past that now, it's, uh, it's no problem that a banner monetization, which might average a dollar CPM, we can get uh, monetization upwards of $500 to $1,000 CPM. So those apps are now getting fi- literally 500 to 1,000 times the revenue, which is also not bad for our app partners.
0: You're listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon System with
1: Steve Statler.
3: Welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beeco System. My name is Steve Statler, and this week we are at the headquarters of InMarket in Venice, California. We're part of Los Angeles, and I am with uh, the CEO of InMarket, Todd DiPaolo. Uh, thanks so much, Todd, for doing this interview. No problem. Great to be here. Thank yeah. for having me. Well, I was really excited to get a chance to talk to you for a couple of reasons. Um, one is your company is extremely unusual in the B system in that you're not burning through masses of cash. You seem to actually be doing pretty well in terms of funding your operations from, uh, from your business, which is very, very unusual. <laughs> so that's one reason.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange world out there. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I went to school to be a scientist, not a business person, but I did take a couple business school classes. And one of the things you learned early on in those business school classes is in business, you're supposed to sustain yourself and actually make a profit. That's the point of businesses. Yeah, Nonprofit, which I spend a lot of time in, it's the opposite. Burn cash and, and do things in the world. So definitely in, my, in our business endeavors, I guess I was taught early on that you should have a sustainable business. That's something we've always focused on.
3: I think everyone wants to do that, but very few people achieve it. And, and and what where we are in the beacon ecosystem is kind of this bootstrap process. And very often you like have to spend a lot of money to hopefully make money. But you've you've managed to hit on something that we're going to look at in this interview. Um, and last week our interview was all about kind of technology, it was the CTO's agenda of uh, ultra-wideband and all that sort of stuff, and we're going to the opposite end of the spectrum here, and we're going to be talking about the agenda for for brands and agencies, and and what you guys do, and um, if I kind of look at it at a meta level, I'm also fascinated by what you do because you've got a network, and networks I think are the key to the future success of this ecosystem, so we'll look into that as well, but why don't we just kick things off with you explaining to people what InMarket does? Sure.
2: Uh, so InMarket uh, is one of the world's largest uh, platforms for a location. And if you actually use third-party measurements, not just self-described measurements, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say we're the largest according to, to Comscore. Um, so we work with uh, three parties, and I think you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon system is a very appropriate name for things, that beacons by themselves are a commodity product. You could probably buy them at Radio Shack now. Uh, you know, making beacons is, um, is one part of the ecosystem, but unless you can actually have them do something, have them reach people, have a purpose in it, um, it doesn't go very far. So from the, the ground up as a location company in our DNA, we looked at how we can create value in the, in the chain out there for, for multiple parties, bring them together, and, uh, and hopefully do some good. So, um, so we work with three different parties out there. We work uh, with locations themselves, uh, installing beacons, uh, even when there are no beacons. Uh, we work with apps uh, to use all the sensors on a phone to be talking to that phone at the right moment in time. Um, and then we work with brands, ultimately, to have a reason to reach people, particularly at places of commerce, and help influence them to learn about a new product or buy something they, they might not otherwise have bought, which is sort of media 101. So we bring all those three parties together. We we create value. Um, we've been able to demonstrate we create value for those apps, uh, both in getting um, higher retention rates for their uh, for their consumers when the app comes alive and kind of has this concierge experience or you know what we sometimes call um, this world of uh, of more intelligent uh, ambient intelligence around us. It's a better uh, it's a better environment for that user. If they had an app in their pocket and forgot to use it. That's a bad experience. When the app wakes up at the right moment, that's this concierge experience. So we create value for those, uh, for those apps and actually demonstrated value, lift in the retention as I mentioned, uh, lift in the monthly active users and ultimately a lift in revenue. Uh, for the side of the locations, we're helping those locations uh, become uh, kind of wiser on this digital plane instead of just putting a bunch of advertising on the walls and such while consumers' faces buried in their phones why not make the phone smarter in those in those certain places. So we work with locations and then brands are always trying to reach out and touch consumers and they can touch them in all different sort of methods of demographics but there really hasn't been much focus on the timing. A lot of you know uh, the world of marketing in our lives reaches us when we're on the con- butsers on the seats in the computer or uh, watching TV. Those are definitely times media is consumed but they're often far from the point of influence. So we both at this company and my previous company, have always tried to reach people when they're at those decision points. And it gives brands an unfair advantage against their, their competitors. If a consumer's making a decision and now they're being influenced at that point, you tend to have a leg up versus someone that tried to influence the consumer much earlier in that, in that chain.
3: So we started this conversation talking about money. And perhaps, and you've outlined a triad of stakeholders that are in this kind of the party that you're throwing... Uh, to, everyone has to turn up pretty much at the same time you can't have the party if if uh, one of those uh, members of the, the triad are missing but who is paying for, for what? Do you sell beacons? Yeah so we can make different arrangements
2: with different location providers but we're not really in the business of Radio Shack and I think um, in, the, in the world of, of we believe a lot of beacons are somewhat um, commodity hardware There mm-hmm. there's some pros and cons and certainly we do make our own beacons, we have our own IP, we've we filed patents, uh, and we've been doing this pretty much longer than most other folks in, in the world. But we don't really focus on that as a company. Um, I think the real key is putting together a turnkey solution for folks. So because we now have that scale on all three parts of the platform, whether it's a location who wants to reach people inside their location, uh, whether it's a brand that wants scale, or where it's an app that wants a, a revenue model or, or a better use case, we can provide value to any of those players. So we're sort of at a, a tipping point, I'd call it, where we have exclusivity into a lot of these areas. And um,
3: and as a result, we've been able to help each of those stakeholders out um, pretty, pretty well. So it doesn't sound like you know a lot of companies thought beacons, what an opportunity, all the benefits. I'm going to start selling beacons to retailers. And I think a lot of those companies have struggled to get retailers to pay for a big beacon deployment, and my sense is that whilst some retailers may buy your beacons as part of the infrastructure, you're not looking to make money from retailers. Is that correct? I, th- I think that's correct. We, we ultimately
2: kind of survive by, by creating value. And again, it's maybe my, my, my bias, kind of either as a scientist or, um, or just my experience, that Maybe I'm not really good at selling things in the space, so ultimately we, we live or die based on performance, and that can be challenging sometimes early on when there's a lot of um, excitement around an area and big marketing endeavors and such. But I think you know, for us, if we don't make our partners money, we die on the vine. So that's given us in our own DNA the ability that we, we must create value. If we're not creating value, we cease to exist as a company. Okay. It's a very hard way to set things up. But once you've proven it, you have lifelong, lifelong partners. And there's a nice, um, a nice interdependence there of, uh, of us
3: having to continually do good work and improve so we, so we build those partnerships. So the retailer can definitely get value if there are people with apps that are beacon-enabled coming into their store. They can see who's coming in the store. They can hopefully get lift in sales. But it seems to me that you make most of your money from charging brands. To engage with um, consumers that are in venues in stores, is that correct?
2: Yeah, I'd say that's a that's a fair assessment. Is that over time, brands want to reach consumers at the right place and time, and especially if you can demonstrate it, it leads to ultimate uh, increase in sales, which we've you know we've done you know hundreds, if not thousands, of times now with, with brands. Uh, absolutely, that's that's some of the the um, the top of the uh, of the value chain.
3: Okay, so most of you, some of your revenue comes from retailers, but probably most of it comes from brands.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think it, it's, a, it's a mix from different areas. But ultimately, folks, you know, all day long there are billions of dollars spent trying to reach consumers in different ways. You, know, yeah. you can look at this um, large and growing mobile piece, large and growing location piece, but look beyond that into your mailbox and the trash you get in your mailbox every day. There's a multi-billion dollar industry there. Of folks trying to reach consumers and influence their um, their retail buying. Same thing as on TV. So there's always been a lot of dollars spent to reach people offline. It's just never had very much accountability to it. So now that we can use this digital layer over the physical world, we can add accountability to it. And just as we saw shifts in, in my previous company in the world of search and the world of digital, and more and more dollars went to someone like a Google who could reach people at the right time, you know, our belief has been. If we can create uh, a large moat around um, and kind of uh, almost a monopoly of reaching consumers when they're at that, that moment in time, it's going to be very valuable. And the same way someone will pay a dollar or two for a click uh, of a consumer sitting on their butt, they should pay at least the same amount for a consumer about to make that purchase in the store in real life. So that's been our, our guiding thesis and, uh, and so far. Um, it looks, it looks hopefully to be the right one in this place. We're always learning and always improving our capabilities of how can we create value for those those advertisers or brand partners. Um, and I, I think the best, you know, the best days are days have been getting getting better, and they're going to continue to do so as more dollars are shifted from dead tree media to actual accountable media that that has an ROI.
3: And Dead tree Media then traditionally people kind of get their flyers from their grocery store and they think that the grocery store is paying for all of these promotions and the offers. But that really isn't the case a lot of the time, is it? It's the, it's the brands that have the margin. Uh, they have the, the bigger advertising budgets.
2: Absolutely, yeah. There's, a, um, there's definitely a... Uh, a- a complex world out there for, for where the dollars come in and how they get spent. But, Mm -hmm. you know, at a high level, it wasn't a bad, you know, it wasn't a bad bet. Go back to, you know, when I was a little boy with my mom going to the grocery store. Um, she might've got an ad on Sunday and that was, there was no internet. You don't have internet. You get the media you, um, that's available, which is, comes in the newspaper. You look through it, you see advertising, you walk into a store, you might pick up a circular there and you see, wow, um, Steaks are on sale. That's fantastic. Filet is 70% off. So then my mom would load up and buy you know, 10 times what she would normally buy because something's on sale. So that system of getting information to consumers has been around for a while. The Consumers have wanted it. They want to know what's on sale. Um, brands have wanted to put that information out there to sell more product. But as consumers' media consumption habits have shifted, now those stacks of circulars go, people spend the money, print it, it goes in the mailbox, it goes in the trash. It sits in big stacks as people are walking to the store, their faces in their phones. So we're just evolving um, a medium that's always worked very well to the types of consumption that consumers want now. They want it instantaneously at the right moment, and if they learn something's on sale or there's a new product out there, they're going to make that incremental purchase. So mm-hmm. we're, bringing, we're fusing these digital tactics that have been so successful with offline tactics that have been so successful, and just bringing them together in the modern age.
3: That makes sense. So I talked about this this party. Maybe a maybe a, a concert is a better metaphor for, for what you do. You kind of have a you have a venue, you have an audience, and you have kind of the band. And you kind of, if you're doing one of these things, you probably start off and you have a small venue, and then it gets bigger and bigger. You don't want to have Madison Square Garden and then maybe an act that's not going to pull people in and uh, you don't want to um, have uh, this amazing venue and lots of people uh, that, that, that uh, aren't really motivated to, to arrive. So you seem to be, I'm, I'm imagining one of your challenges is getting that right balance between having enough apps, having enough retailers, and having enough brands that are willing to f- put money into this ecosystem and, uh, and drive the campaigns. How have you built up, um, the, and, and you get the audience through, through the apps, right? You, mm-hmm. how, have you, and how many apps are plugged into the in-market uh, ecosystem at the moment, and how many people are using those apps?
2: Yeah, we've got uh, several dozen apps that are, that are plugged in. Uh, Comscore says 46 million monthly active users, um, so that's pretty, pretty exciting in terms of reach that's out there. And you know, as you allude to, it's hard to build up all these pieces in concert with each other. Some folks who build platforms call it a crab walk, So you take one step in one direction, one step in the other direction. You know, it's hard enough with a, imagine a two-sided network like eBay created. How do you get the buyers with the sellers? Well, that was tough, but once eBay gets to be a certain scale, everyone just goes to eBay, because that's the place where buyers and sellers come together. Um, We've created a three-sided network, which is more difficult than what eBay did, and definitely that means the early years of doing that can be very challenging, uh, putting that together. I think once once you get to a tipping point, and, and we're, we're a bit past that now, it's, uh, it's no problem. And that you can add excess capacity. You can still get out of whack. But you can basically add excess capacity in either of those areas. So every day we're onboarding apps, we're getting more locations on board. Um, and we're getting more and more uh, brand campaigns going forward. So,
3: and what are some of the larger apps that people will have heard of that are tapped into your ecosystem? Sure,
2: uh, one big one is is uh, Condé Nast is one that we've been partnering with for a while, and, and Epicurious is definitely, uh, you know, one of our, our earliest and best partners out there, uh, and, and they've got a fantastic app, one of the leading recipe apps in the world, and their consumers uh, are all the time. are doing things, looking up recipes, and we helped that app become better uh, when somebody walked into the store. Now they're getting reminded, hey, you wanted to make a lasagna recipe tonight. Don't forget to pick up the items. Uh, that you'll need to, need to make that lasagna recipe. So they're a fantastic partner of ours and obviously a, you know, a, um, a very large traditional media company that's incredibly successful. So it's exciting when we can partner with someone with a storied and successful past as a Condé Nast and really help them use location to improve their app.
3: And you've got others, um, and maybe this is cha- I don't know how dynamic these relationships are and how exclusive they are, but shop savvy and listies. And, and, and you, did you not start your business with your own app?
2: Yeah, so we started uh, a while ago, and that's maybe kind of some conclusion we came to that we, we should build partnerships. We started our, our life as a company called Checkpoints, and we, we became in-market. We changed our name to reflect what we do over time. We built the one app to rule them all, as every app maker probably does. This is the one app everyone's going to use. Yeah. You know We're going to be the next Facebook. And, uh, and you tend to find out that actually what happens is there's a certain percentage of consumers who will want any given use case, but um, no app will really solve all use cases for all people. So something like a rewards app that we created first is fantastic for a certain segment of, of consumers who like loyalty apps. Other folks like clipping coupons I want a discount app. Other folks want to get in and out of the store as quickly as possible, so they use an organizational app like Listies. And others are foodies, so they're using Epicurious. So, we found that there's uh, you know different strokes for different folks, different apps for different chaps. Yeah. So we said rather than us trying to build the best kind of app, why don't we really focus on the location piece and power better experiences for for the different apps that are out there? So we've added you know more and more uh, folks on board. Um, giving them location capabilities, um, better experiences for their users, and then better monetization. Instead of banner monetization, which might average a dollar CPM, we can get uh, monetization upwards of five hundred to thousand dollars CPM. So those apps are now getting fi- literally five hundred to a thousand times the revenue, which is also not bad for our app partners. And like uh, you mentioned those things of of kind of the challenge of building everything up at once, when you're at a certain scale, you can you can do that effectively and you can be plug and play for new apps to come on board and, and monetize better. Um, so whether it's the user experience, uh, the lift in retention, or the increase in monetization, we're providing a lot of value to our partners.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: So do you have any games that are plugged in with your ecosystem? That's that's an area where I... I, Because obviously there's a lot of games that are freemium type uh, apps... uh, Maybe that is less positive because it seems like everyone plays Angry Birds, so it's not like you're kind of plugging into, like with WebMD, clearly there's some affinity between WebMD and drugstores, but Angry Birds probably gets played everywhere. What are your thoughts in terms of um, mobile games being Certainly. a potential partner?
2: Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, a, we're a, a mobile moments company, so we're trying to reach that consumer at the right point in time where, where it makes sense. So traditionally we haven't, you know, hasn't made sense as much for a, you know, an app to a game app to light up when you're in store. You know, we are starting to see some changes out there with kind of Pokemon Go and the rise of, of more augmented reality games. So I think that's a that's a potential growth opportunity, but we always want to make sure from our perspective that we're providing value to the consumer and not being interruptive. Um, if you're interruptive, you tend to your audience of apps tend to or your audience of users tends to shrink. We've been able to prove for the right apps we can help their audience grow. Um, so it's something we'll we'll look at and consider to, as we expand to more locations. And uh, you know, if we're working with a GameStop or something, for instance, that might work very well uh, with certain gaming apps. Uh, but we've really focused on the the traditional consumer journey and where we can be helpful there. So today we haven't really focused on on a game company per se.
3: I just uh, if you think about people who are killing time in airports, they've made it through the uh... Um, intimate process of being frisked, went going through TSA, they collapse into their seat and then they start playing uh, whatever, Tetris. It seems like if you could then say, hey, there's a Starbucks that, you know, how about a caffeine shot? There's a Starbucks like 50 yards away from you or something. That would be kind of a cool thing to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we we are doing that also even throughout, even outside of the apps that we're directly integrated with. We use the data uh... to have better experiences outside so we could still we still probably are reaching people uh... through some of our our predictive um, uh... marketing sides of things through gaming apps potentially we just there's not as much reason why that app might buzz you today but you might see a banner there for sure so i think there's there's definitely things we're we're always looking at expanding yeah but today
3: we haven't focused as much on it so um... Where is the state of art in terms of location and precision? Uh, My sense is that a lot of what you are doing is measuring and getting triggers when someone enters the store. So we're kind of store level triggers, or or are you going more granular? Are you going to where are you on the continuum of um, so and so is about to go in the store? (coughs) Uh, or so, so-and-so is in a certain department or so-and-so is in front of a certain product. I know you try and get ahead of that, but mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your views on the, the role of real precision indoor location and how that can add value or not.
2: Absolutely. I think there's a, there was a, a big shift just in the past couple years from location 1.0, which is the traditional banner world out there where people are programmatically buying based on... Uh, we we'll call stated location. Somebody saying, here's a lat long where a consumer is, without really even knowing, using things like um, uh, like geocoding, IP address. Um, and that's sort of been the standard even until today. Most location is bought that way. Um, as you get to location 2.0, which is actually comes from apps specifically, or first party for us in our SDK, uh, pulling beacon data, Wi-Fi data, um, actual first party GPS, you get an enormous amount of, of precision, and clearly beacons. You can go beyond that, where you can get departmental or aisle level. Um, so I think the the industry is still evolving. Let's say for the most part, it's still in those in those earliest stages. The vast amount of dollars spent are to reach people who are in a particular zip code or might be within ten miles of a Walmart, and that's you know ninety percent of the population is within ten miles of a Walmart. So I think we're we're kind of on the leading edge of that additional precision of which building are you in specifically? What store in the mall are you in? And then ultimately, what aisle or what department are you in there? So I think it, it adds enormous value. We've been able to show that. Um, and I think the, the media world is just starting to understand the, the differentiators there. When they actually look at who drove sales, there's a big difference between reaching somebody within several miles of a store and reaching someone
3: in that store at the moment. So, how much of so you've talked uh, in the past about quantum receptivity, which is sort of this figuring out someone's about to go to the grocery store before they actually are busy chasing after their kids and dealing with shopping carts, so they can actually pay attention to your your promotion. So it seems like to me, location has two roles. One is in the kind of the targeting and predictive analysis, uh, which is when do I present the offer, and then the other half is the attribution. Did that person actually Go to the store. Did they stand in front of the Samsung phone in the store? Mm-hmm. Um, and are you can you talk a li- uh, can you talk about how much of what you're using location for is driving targeting and how much is attribution or is it is it both?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So it depends on who the client is. In many cases. Um, so if it's, a, if it's a location-specific client, we can absolutely measure did, did that consumer ultimately go to that location, what's the lift, and how, how we're bringing someone back to that store more frequently. Um, so we do, we do both for attribution and for targeting. And the other you know look at targeting sometimes is when to reach the consumer you know, before they go to the store, when to reach them as they're in the store. And the other piece that sometimes you know, gets put on the wayside is also when to, when to pause, when to not reach this person. And again, something that came from our background in digital, there's this concept in digital of day parting or hour parting to know, look, the people you reach at, don't try to show an impression at 3 a.m. This person could be sleeping with their phone on. Um, In location world, that's a a new idea. That it's not just, here's someone in a Walmart parking lot. That's where a lot of location is instantaneous. Someone in a Walmart parking lot is either about to go to Walmart, perfect timing, or just leaving Walmart, worst possible timing. So you get about 50% waste in a lot of location because they're only seeing that instantaneous moment. So a lot of quantum receptivity is just figuring out, you know, can we predict the next time this person's doing a store trip? Are they headed there now, or did they just leave that store? And you should really save your save your bullets in the gun for the next time when it's when it's going to be a better target. And we thought of that from experiences we've had ourselves, just kind of watching consumers and ourselves going to a store where. You know, you might see these coupons that print out right after you're, you're checking out. It's the most amazingly targeted coupon to what you're buying, except it came at the worst possible moment in that life cycle of a consumer. I'm just leaving the store. I said, why would this, you know, it's amazing targeting hit you at the worst possible moment and said, what if we could roll back the tape and reach them when they walk in the store? Hey, that's what we do. What if we could roll back the tape a little bit further beyond that to when they're on their way to the store? Hey, we can build that product. And we can also realize this person just checked out, don't give them this, um, this offer at the worst possible time. So we sort of built this the quantum receptivity based on all the data we have in the unique place where we sit on a phone with an SDK, with first-party data, with beacons, um, to understand that full consumer life cycle of each individual is different. When do they go to the store? How often is their average trip time? What are the standard deviations there? To recognize
3: personalized marketing for that consumer of when they're most receptive. So I was uh, one of my consulting clients has uh, been working on this technology to get sub-meter accuracy from, uh, from, from Wi-Fi, uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, and you know my job was to help them with the business plan and kind of figure out what do, it, do people actually want that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up having a whole bunch of questions as to whether people could actually use that in the short term at least, maybe in the long term people can. I'd be interested in your view on that if you had the ability to figure out where someone is within the store, sub-meter accuracy and obviously if you have enough beacons you can figure out where people are but just in a practical sense it's kind of hard to figure out sub-meter accuracy but is that something that you can use today or do you think that's something that really is going to come to the fore in, in a few years time? Yeah i think it's it's
2: it's exciting in some ways but you know one of the things we're we're doing sometimes is just updating retailers and brands on technology that came out two years ago where there's so much kind of noise in the ecosystem to be able to show i know there's many things that you can do you know but what should you do and what must you do is tends to be one so definitely you you can eventually figure out you know people talk about inch or meter accuracy you know Maybe we're slowly starting to approach it, but even if you could do that, what would you do with it? If mm. you are buzzing someone's phone, every single product they stand in front of in a store, that's probably not a good user experience. Um, so even the, some of the capabilities we have, we found just because there's a, um, an actual technical capability doesn't mean it actually makes sense from a business standpoint or a use case standpoint. So we try to focus on the, the tangible and what we can do today and have a lot of things in the lab of what can happen later on, but make sure that there's actually a, a good
3: use case and we've got the metrics behind it before we deploy it. And so are the use... So what I'm hearing is essentially the, most people are not... Most brands and retailers are not ready to use sub-meter accuracy. They're just trying to figure out is someone arriving at the store or are they leaving the store? And did they go into the um, uh, fresh produce department or not?
2: Yeah, and even you, you look at you know, dollars spent, you know, most, most dollars today are spent in a way of, I've got a store in this zip code. Let me try to reach houses in this zip code. That is the state of the art where the majority of dollars are spent today. So you look at that and then you compare it to sub meter accuracy. Yeah, it's an interesting technical problem. But from a business standpoint, we spend a lot of our time just educating people that why, why are you reaching folks in the zip code around your store? You could reach folks who shop in your store and bring them back an incremental one time a month. That would be trans- that would give you billions of dollars a year if you did that. Um, you can find folks in neighborhoods that live right next to your store, but they're going to competitor stores. Wouldn't you like them to come to your store? Um, you're spending you know tens of millions of dollars on uh, on either location based, mobile, or digital advertising, but half the time you're reaching a consumer who's not at all receptive to this. So we see those as enormous billion-dollar problems that we're solving. And again, we have all sorts of things in the lab of what could be the future. But there's a lot of work being done in the present of just educating people and showing, demonstrating to them that you can be effective. So I'd say we spend uh, definitely a lot of our time on the technical side, but also a lot on
3: the um, uh, on the talking to consumer side. So let's wrap up by talking a bit about the one of the primary customers, the stakeholder, the, the advertiser, and the so you're, you're, you have a sales team. They're selling to media buyers, are they? Who, who's the customer in, within the brand or the agency? Or...
2: Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, we're in a, new, uh, in a new realm, so there are many different touch points and decision makers from you know, the brand, the CMO level, the agency. Uh, we, we talk with all folks in there and, and try to educate them about what we do, show them uh, the KPIs and, and try to say, let's focus, you can focus on click-through rate, we're going to do amazingly well there. We've got case studies to show that. But let's look at something more important of actual products sold or or trips to the store because those are KPIs that might be things that were previously unattainable. But now you can actually, you can see and you can benchmark us. So all day long, we love having um, uh, cook-offs against, uh, against other folks in the space or even old school folks, whether it be newspaper, TV, et cetera, to show that this is really high ROI advertising. Um, that's where I've kind of built my, built, built my career in, and I know if we're creating value for folks that long-term we're going to win, forget about you know, what's the latest you know, news about, about technology or things going on. If we're actually creating value, and for every dollar um, a partner spends with us, they make three, four, five back, it doesn't matter how the economy is doing, it doesn't matter what new technology comes out. We're going to be growing and growing rapidly, and that's, that's uh, been a great guiding light for us.
3: And what are some of the metrics that you're able to share with brands that get their attention? Yeah, so you know,
2: lifting, lifting sales for the dollars they spend with us, how many more sales do they ultimately yield? That's, a, that's a, probably the, the key one. Um, store trips, certainly, uh, if you're talking to you know, a, um, a fast food restaurant or a
3: retailer or a mall or a clothing company, those are things that people are very interested in also. So, it sounds like one of the biggest challenges you have is just educating the people that are spending those, those dollars. Are there any other challenges? I think when you're building any network, especially advertising networks, it's about scale. Are you able to deploy campaigns nationally? Do you have enough? What, what are the top three constraints that if you could wave a magic wand and kind of accelerate? Progress on those metrics, what, what is it that would allow you to double, triple your business?
2: Yeah, well, I think you know, one of the, the, the great challenges to have right now is one of growth in people. We've got, uh, I think, just north of about 50, 50 folks now and are trying to hire about as rapidly as we can, so finding, uh, finding that next that next level of talent to help us grow has been probably our, our biggest challenge. So if I could wave a magic wand where I could either create a, a cloning device for, uh, for some of my, the superstars we have now uh, and, uh, and bring more people on board, particularly kind of, I'd say, we're going, uh, going bananas and hiring on the sales and marketing side, um, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. You know, smart engineers, um, those are probably the biggest challenges to the, the business right now. Um, but, uh, but even then, they're, they're great problems to have. Yeah. Um, it's basically, how can we spend money faster to grow yeah. is our problem. Um, we, we have clients. We work with them. They come back time and time again. So we're reaching out to more and more clients uh, to, to give them a sample and then
3: uh, work with them. Very good. And where do you see the product going over time? Where, what, what do you want to do with these engineers that you hire? Certainly. So I think we're, you know, we're,
2: we're getting... Just in the past couple years or even months in this case of rolling out quantum receptivity, you know we're, we're looking at interesting ways, interesting new products around the data. Um, that's definitely something that, that quantum falls deeply in that category for. So we've always been the, the leaders of reaching a consumer at that moment of truth, and we're looking at how we can take data from that moment of truth to, to further um, create personalized experiences for the user, and then, what we call them unfair advantages for the brands that, that, um, that work with us.
3: Cool. Okay, Todd. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on all your success. It's uh, great to see a company that's growing and uh, really delivering clear value to people that can help grow the ecosystem. Uh, I do want to just uh, give a shout out to Proxbook, who are our partners in this space. They've just come out with their Q2 report on um, uh, stadiums, venues, and events. So uh, check out the, the Proxbook report and... Um, uh, for, uh, for people that have watched this that uh, want to listen in future, check out our podcast. But, Todd, once again, thanks for letting us join you here in your headquarters, and it's been great to hear what you guys are doing.
2: Great. Thanks a lot, Stephen.
3: We've got limited bandwidth to send music with you. It's kind of an artificial construct. <laughs> I mean, this, what, what this the f- uh,
2: trip's getting worse all the time. <laughs> yeah. What are the three <laughs> songs that you would take? It's only a 300 baud modem. That's the uh, <laughs> exactly yeah. not gonna be able to surf the internet as much. Yeah. Now, now maybe I'll stay. I'll stay on Earth. <laughs> um, So the songs, uh, you know, the songs I think we take were one of which is uh, is Lean On Me, right. but there's different versions of that song. Yeah, so there's a many. nice kind of 80s version by uh, Club Nuevo kind of mixes mixes things up a little bit, so it's uh-huh. a remix of a classic. I think always, you know, you want to help people out, whether you're on Mars or, you know, part of the BECO system, so I think there's a lot of interdependence that goes on. Yeah. So that's that's one of the ones uh, I thought I'd take. Um, the other one is Van Halen, uh, Right Here. It's a nice kind of rock and roll song, uh, just kind of about, you know, the the immediacy of life and kind of living in the moment, uh-huh. and, you know, also, you know, in the world we live in, and kind of, you know, moments of truth in the mobile world, I think, is, uh, is pretty, pretty apropos for that. Um, and then uh, I thought of another one, which is the, the Friends theme song. It might get annoying if you play it over and over again for, for a couple, a couple <laughs> decades. <laughs> but at least sometimes, you know, it gets, gets you happy. And, and again, another one about kind of, uh, of togetherness and, and uh, kind of working with people and having good times. So I think those are things that cool. define what we do here pretty well also. Excellent.